Welcome to the Sunday Morning Live Fellowship. You are listening to the live Sunday morning podcast led by Pastor Denise Suttles. Now turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, and St. John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. While you are finding our scripture passage, let me just say this. I read in the news this week about a dead pig, a dead pig, a a pig that was dead. (laughs) And the scientist brought back to life dead pig cells. Immediately, the image came to my mind. Some of you all are too young to relate to what I'm about to say. But immediately, what came to mind were the science fiction movies from the 50s and the 60s. You remember those old black and white, B-grade science fiction Frankenstein movies? Bad acting. Plastic monsters. Excuse me, you could see the strings that the monsters hung on. And for some reason, a spinal cord was also the tentacle. (laughs) But like any good science fiction, it's only a matter of time before some manner of it seeps into our reality. This week's article publishing the findings of researchers who managed to restore function to pigs' brains that were clinically dead raises all kinds of questions regarding medical ethics and what is our own definition of death. Specifically, though, I'm thinking about organ donations. If, if I'm pronounced dead and you bring my heart back to life and my heart is wait, working, but you waiting on my kidney and now my heart has begun to pump blood through my body and bringing my organs back. I mean, I got somebody on the other side of the country that's a match for my kidney And saying, hurry up and send me the kidney. But I'm saying, wait a minute. Hold on. My heart is pumping blood throughout my body. And my organs are coming back to life. See, beloved, the human heart is an organ that pumps blood throughout our body. Using the vessels, the vessels of our circulatory system, supplying oxygen and nutrients to other organs and removing carbon dioxide and other waste forms. Hmm. Let's put this in spiritual terms. We are God's vessels and God is depending on you and I to pump his life throughout the body of Christ, 
the kingdom of God and this world system. Woo! Let's turn to our scripture passage. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. St. John chapter 7, 37 and 38. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Woo! Hallelujah! Let us pray. My God, we thank you for your grace, your goodness, your mercy, your protection. We thank you for the life that comes from your word. Cause us as human beings to be thirsty for you because we are dead and you bring us back alive. But you bring us alive so that you can pump your life through us. We are your vessels. <laughs> Let us be, oh God. Vessels that will share your life with this world. Let us not give this world ourselves. Let us not give your church ourselves. But oh God, let it be your glory. It's not about us. It's all about you and the life of your son, Jesus. Use us as your vessels. Unblock any blockage. Remove any waste. Oh God, that would hamper the flow of your spirit. Oh God, we pray for every name that we listed on our prayer list. We pray for your servant. Oh God, we thank you for your miraculous, your miraculous strength and grace. Let it be all of you and none of me. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. I would like to use for a topic this morning, the living dead. The living dead. You came into this world dead. I know the doctor hit you on your back part and you let out a loud cry, but you were dead. Uh, Not the sort of dead such as hard of hearing toward the gospel. Not simply crippled in your good works. Not simply struggling to keep your head above the waters of sin. You were spiritually dead, spiritually lifeless, spiritually unmoving. Everything that a dead corpse can contribute to becoming alive, that was you. You could not bring yourself back to life. You did not have the means. Dead means dead. But God, because of his mercy, because that mercy loved dead corpuses such as us, said to us, live. And as surely as the voice of God raised the Son of God from the dead, resurrected him, he has raised us up from the dead and set us in his Son, Christ Jesus. By that same power, he breathed life into our dead souls. From the beginning, that same power now dwells in you. Most people, I think, would like their heart to be, as our text said, a deep mountain pump, pumping rivers of living water, as we said in our opening statements. We want to be a a vessel. We want to be the pump that God uses. So as we look at St. John 7, it reads, on the last day of that great feast, Jesus stood up and proclaimed, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Even before we have a clear idea of what this image means, we don't even know what it means totally, but we know we want it because it seems to imply fullness, completeness, and refreshment. This text implies moisture, growth, and life. Jesus is not merely evoking images for our emotions. His words refer to the issues of life and are meant to put us in touch with something powerful, solid, 
and living outside of ourselves. Jesus is offering a desirable experience, but this experience is the result of a real and personal infusion between us and him. And he is as real today as he was back then. As real and personal today as the person is that's in the room with you right now. No experience is of any value whatsoever if it doesn't have to do with the real and living Jesus Christ. Our interactive experience with Jesus is essential, but it will slip through our fingers and disappear if we focus, listen to me, on the experience instead of focusing on Jesus. So in thinking about this text and how his life flows through us, We have to talk about our experience, but it will be all in vain if the experience supersedes his life. If we don't make a distinction where his life has the highest distinction, has the highest meaning and value above everything else that his life is more distinct. His life is more powerful and more beautiful over everything else that exists. So how do we go from death to life? How do we go from merely existing to living? For one, the invitation is universal and yet it is is conditional. There is no ethnic, intellectual, or social qualifications for drinking at Jesus' fountain. The invitation goes out to all. Everyone has a personal invitation from Jesus to come to him and receive living water. There is only one condition. You have to be thirsty. As human beings, we are born with a chronic restlessness an insatiable soul thirst for this reason so that we would be thirsty for Jesus. In other words, we were created for God. The taste buds of our souls were made to relish fellowship with the Son of God. But we have, we have become sinners We are sinners by birth and the fundamental meaning of sin is thirsting for things other than God or looking for life in other sources than him. 
Our sinful nature is a condition of a diseased spiritual taste buds. Therefore, the prerequisite for coming to Christ and finding life in him is a recreation of our spirit a spirit of our spiritual taste buds. In other words, our spiritual taste buds must be recreated. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 and 14, the unspiritual man does not receive the gifts of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. God wants us for himself. He wants everything but himself to grow dim in our eyes. He offers to heal our diseased spiritual taste buds. And if you feel, oh my God, if you feel the slightest desire for Christ, then you can know that God is at work in you. He, the God of grace, he wants to heal your taste buds so that you can feel a desire of thirst, a kind of thirst for God, whatever kind of thirst you have. Do not bury it with that thirst with the things of this world. Do not bury the thirst that God has blessed you with desiring other things, but fan the flame of God's kindling mercy on those taste buds and let nothing stand in your way. There is only one condition, an earnest desire for what God has to give to you. He is the giver of life. I'm reminded of the very last chapter in the book of the Bible of Revelations where it is said, the spirit and the bride say, come, hear this grace-filled invitation. The spirit of the bride says come and let him who hears say come and let him who is thirsty come let him who desires take the water of life without a price you don't need money you don't need a moral track record All you need is a genuine thirst for God. Now, how does God's life flow through us? Let us first assume that you have received the life of God's son, Jesus Christ, into your heart. It is at that receiving that we go from death to life. Oh, praise the Lord. But what happens in our heart? Let us continue to look at St. John 7. What's happening in our heart when it goes from death to life? 
It says, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. I can hear some of you. I know what you're thinking. How am I going to come to Jesus Christ and drink? He's not visible. He's not tangible. And I cannot approach him geographically as though he were on earth. Beloved, listen to me. Coming to Jesus must be an act of faith in our heart. His life flows through our spirit or our heart. We are his vessels. So when we receive him by faith, he enters our heart. But what's going on in the heart? How does the heart move? How is life directed through us? Think of it in this way. We say sometimes as we stand before some scene of beauty that we are drinking in the beauty. Or if we change the metaphor just a little bit, we say that our eyes are feasting on the beauty of what we're looking at. What do we mean? We mean that we have put ourselves in a position to behold the beauty. Then we have said, when we put ourselves in a position to behold the beauty, then we have said yes to all that it is. We have not disputed the beauty. We have not called the beauty unreal. We have affirmed its worth and we give ourselves up to it to be affected by it because we trust the beauty not to corrupt us, but to purify us. In that same way, we drink in a beautiful scene. That's the same way that our spirit and soul come to Jesus and drink in all that he is when we first behold him and we bless him and we depend upon him. How do we do this? We do this through the word of God. Whether we behold the word through a sermon, whether we read the word in the Bible, whether we have the word spoken to us, whether we see the word in the life of someone else. St. John 6 and 63 says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. We meet the life-giving Jesus today in his word. And when he calls us to come and drink, it is his words to which we come. His words carry the living water. When our gaze is fixed on his words, we say yes to all that he is. We do not dispute its beauty 
or call his words unreal. We affirm the worth of his word and we give ourselves to his word unreservedly to be affected by it because we trust its beauty not to corrupt but to purify. We rest in the certainty that here is truth that will not leave us empty. What Jesus means by drinking is the same thing he means by believing or trusting by faith. After he says, come to me and drink, in verse 37, he immediately says, he who believes in me, he could have said, he who drinks from me, but he clearly says, he who believes in me shall never thirst. Therefore, the essence of drinking the words of Jesus is believing in what he said and banking on it. But the reverse is true as well. The essence of believing in Jesus is finding in him the satisfaction of our deepest soul thirst. Drinking is believing and believing is drinking. But now notice the difference between St. John 6 and 35 and our text in St. John 7. St. John 6 and 35, as I just read, promises that if we believe in Jesus, we will never thirst. It focuses on our satisfaction and contentment. It says that if we drink from the fountain of Jesus's promises, our cup will always be full to the brim. We will not feel the need to fill up the cup of our need <coughs> with some worldly pleasures of achievement or attention. But our text says more clearly, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the, as the scripture says, out of his belly or heart shall flow rivers of living water. The promise is not only that we will be satisfied, but that we will be satisfying. He promises not only to fill our cup and be full, but that we will be overflowing for others. In other words, his life will run through us. We have become his vessels of honor. We are not just a receptacle or a container, but we the children of God have become a fountain and a spring. Jesus promises that if we drink him into our heart, that he will flow out from us like rivers of living water. 
Now we are discussing the life of Christ flowing through us as an overflow. Hmm. Overflow versus containment. Let's look at this. I'm thinking about a text in Acts chapter 20 where it says, It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And this teaches us that fullness of blessing does not precede and enable an overflow to give, but rather fullness of blessing arrives in and because of our giving to others. Do you see this sequence, sequence, beloved? Drink Christ in, feel full satisfaction, and then overflow to others. That, that, that's, that's, it's a little bit more than that. In other words, my deepest soul first is not just to be a container, but to be a river. Experience has taught us that the joy we feel as Christ flows into us eventually will turn sour if it does not flow out of us in worship and praise to God and love to others. If our hearts are not rivers, if we are not vessels of love and praise, then our religious experience will become nothing more than a stagnant pond and standing water stinks. Mm. So our Christ interaction must be like this. Everything starts with a soul thirst for Jesus and a drinking in of his promises found in his word by faith. Then two things will happen in our heart. First, we sense deep down that we have now discovered the source of eternal life and complete joy. And our hearts begin to crave for more and more of Christ, to know him more and more. And second, what we already know, the water we have drunk becomes in us a spring of water welling up into eternal life. This is how life flows through our being. When a drop of his water falls on the parched land of our soul, it doesn't make a puddle. It makes a spring. And from the spring there, a river flows. And when that river of blessing touches the heart of another person, then and not until then do we experience full joy. Not until then is our deepest thirst quenched. So the sequence 
is this. Drink in Christ by faith. Pour Christ out in praise and love to others and you will never thirst again. I'm almost done. And now let us look back at where we started. I don't want us to think that our thirst and our spiritual drinking and God flowing through us. I, I, I don't want us to think of it as only an emotional religious experience triggered by our innate longings and some Christianese language. <clears throat> John adds these words in verse 39 of chapter 7. Now this he said about the spirit which those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Do not think that what you receive from Christ by faith and give to others in love is just an emotional experience. Take your religion beyond your emotions. It is objective. It is real. It is an, an experience distinct from you. It is God, the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that is flowing through you by faith and flowing out of you in love. The life that has the ability to flow through you is not simply subjective, but reality. This is divine objectivity. My prayer for us all is that the Holy Spirit will make us thirsty for Jesus, that he might remove all the calluses, all the blockage, as we are his vessels that he can flow freely through us, that he would recreate our taste buds, that we would only desire him and cause us to drink him in deeply so that he can move through every area of our spiritual being and out into this world that so desperately needs a word from the Lord. Because if the Spirit will do this for you, we have it in our word that out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And that is what we all crave. If you have not made that first step and received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me. First, admit that you are a sinner and that you have done many things that don't please God and that you have lived your life for yourself only. Repent and tell God that you are sorry for your sins and ask him to forgive you. 
Let Jesus know that you believe that he died on the cross for you to save you, that he did for you what you could not do for yourself. Tell him that you come to him now and ask him to take control of your life. Give your life to him from this day forward and live every day in a way that pleases him. If you prayed that prayer with me, please feel free to contact me at 231-349-1046 so that I can discuss with you the first steps of salvation.